I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. Salt Lake City. Where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. Ladies and gentlemen, it's our 500th show. And our prayer tonight is going to be someone who's been with us since she was in the womb. Yes, it's none other than Jocelyn Webster will be giving us our opening prayer. Um, thank you for everything that we have. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for helping Sean teach me of what I know. Thank you for everything in this world. This is, um, thank you for everything in this world. I want to just say thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for Sean to be able to teach me and everything I know. Amen. Amen. Boy, you don't get much uh, more beautiful than that, right? Well, we have gathered around us volunteers. We have people who have been with the ministry for years and years and years. There's a few who aren't up here. They hide uh, back behind the cage. But this is a core group. This, these are people who are, uh, come every week. They support through prayer. They're our friends. There are uh, people who have their own ministries, uh, happen to be visiting tonight. Whatever it is, just welcome them all. I'm going to stand up here for a second and just kind of walk through, do a little Phil Donahue uh, for a second, and uh, ask some questions. Right here, those of you, I don't know if, you, yeah, you can see her. She's bowing her head. She is, this is who we call Lusty Wendy uh, over the years. Uh, Wendy, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Doing well. She answers the phone and she does a lot of stuff with the um, uh, internet. She keeps the website going, so really grateful for that. And uh, I don't want to embarrass people. This is Diana. How are you? Good. Sean, how are you? Good. Diana used to be LDS, and, and it was because of Earl Erskine. He came out of uh, Mormonism, and his wife, Carla, Carla and Diana are uh, sisters, and they got Diana out, who used to hate me, by the way, but she sort of likes me now. I do. Yeah. This is Gaylene right here. Gaylene has two dogs, and what did your dog do last week? Well, last Sunday, Sean has said give me high five little dog's arm went like this they high five her dog gave me a high five i'm not kidding you it was great betty joe how are you i'm great any words for the audience um god is good god is good can't beat that jocelyn how are you thank you for your prayer you're welcome it was beautiful is there anything you'd like to say to the audience 
This is going to be on the archives forever and ever. What would you like to say? Something about mom and dad and how they get along at home, <laughs> things like that? <laughs> I just want to say that I hope everybody trusts in the Lord. And even though that you guys might not, I want you to know that he will always be there for you. End of show! You've heard a lot about Derek and Danita. This is Derek right here. He stays off the camera. He's behind the scenes. He's been uh, a faithful partner. He and I and, and uh, our partners in ministry, we used to just say we're partners until that really turned out to be an ugly way to describe ourselves. But anyway, Derek, anything for the camera? Uh, praise him always, and we do this all for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Don't you love the, the heart? Derek is the grandpa of Jocelyn. So just to make that connection, right over here we have, I'm going to stand in front of you guys rudely. This is Carla Erskine and her husband Earl. Many of you know who they are because they have a Roku channel and a television program, etc., etc. How are you, Carl? I'm not Carl. <laughs> Could have fooled me. Uh, just kidding. How are you, Carla? <laughs> I'm fine, and congratulations, Sean. This Thank is you. really an exciting night. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here uh, with it. Love you. And Brother Earl, Bishop Earl, known as Bishop Earl still. How are you, Bishop Earl? I'm great, and I encourage everybody to listen and watch the other 500, 499 shows. All right, praise <laughs> God. Back behind here, I'm oh, sorry. I'm going to move in here. This is Brandy. This is Derek's oldest daughter. And Brandy has her, I almost said husband. <laughs> While we're here, shall I marry you? <laughs> this is Adam. They're all the way up from Colorado. She's in some training right now. Brandy, she did a testimony after her grandma died on Heart of the Matter when we were on TV. Uh, how's life been? Awesome. Love Colorado. <laughs> she loves Colorado. And so, uh, and how's your walk? doing pretty good. I miss this whole family here, though, a lot. Yeah. She's surrounded by family back here. The Webster clan keeps uh, Alethea going. So Adam is reading the word a lot, and he's studying, thinking about possibly somehow getting involved in ministry. We'll wait to see how that works out. Any words for the audience? I'm just giving myself to the Lord and letting him do his good work. Praise God. That is awesome. Moving over here, we have Derek and Danita's oldest son. This is Blake. Blake with his beautiful wife, Tiff. They've been around the ministry forever. They are the parents of Jocelyn and of this guy who Danita's going to hold up. This is Jameson. This is their newest addition. What's happening with the Blake and Tiff family? Nothing much, just following him and living every day and trying to give all glory to him in everything we do. Praise God. Uh, Tiff, any words to add to that? I mean, things are good. Yeah, We're very, you. very blessed. You are blessed. Absolutely. A wonderful family. Did you say you wanted to sing? <laughs> no. <laughs> Joss will. <laughs> yeah, Joss will. <laughs> now, the Websters have uh, twins. Uh, Crystal and Kelsey, and they're here, and Crystal is right here behind. She is how far along? 35 weeks almost. 35 weeks with a boy whose name is going to be? Declan. She told me Sean first, but it's <laughs> Declan now, and, uh, what, and she has beautiful new hair. <laughs> Thank you to the uh, Westminster Salons for doing that. <laughs> Anything that you'd like to say, my sister? Uh, just trust in the Lord. Yeah. Great advice. 
This is the one twin. We'll get to her in a second, but we have the other D. There's D and D in the ministry, Derek and Danita. Derek does a lot of the talking, and Danita does a lot of the working. Just kidding you. Danita does everything with Derek. This is my sister in the Lord. She's just like my younger sister. We've actually gotten physical fights before, and she's won. <laughs> there she is. Anything you want to say, my sister. Just that we love this family here, and we just pray that everyone follows the Lord. Yeah. You hear a kind of a, a running theme. The other side here, we're going to get to them. They are under some due stress because they have to kind of beat what's been said. What do you say besides just trust in the Lord? But that's kind of a theme that keeps going. Moving over here, I got to come to Kelsey. Kelsey has done commercials for us, actually. When we were selling products on TV, she did the Vanna White for us. Kelsey, what's happening? Oh, not a lot. Not a lot. And uh, how's uh, the love life? It's going very well. Does your boyfriend keep wrecking cars? Uh, <laughs> only two that I'm aware of. <laughs> only two. He's only had two. Uh, just teasing. Listen, any message for the audience? Uh, not for the audience, but just for you. Thanks for changing the lives of, I don't know, thousands, millions. Who knows? But we love you. Love you too. Thanks so much. Down here, you're getting up right now. Get up. You're dead. <laughs> this is my little sister. She's hiding. You say little. Uh, she joined the ministry a long time ago. She's behind the scenes gal. That's why she's hiding back here. Uh, this is Linda Cassidy. She has a wonderful family and they, uh, she has a wonderful husband, Mike, and she is a great mother and a great lover of the Lord. She's seen a lot in things. She keeps me grounded. She calls me out. I don't believe that, Sean. And, you know, she keeps me grounded, but she is a woman that we love. Anything you want to say, my sister? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> she just got her revenge. I love you. Love you too. Our musician, you've seen him a few times recently on Heart of the Matter. This is Alex Pollock. Tell us what you have to say, my brother. Don't give up. Ooh. Love that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you, my brother. Working our way around here. This is Chad. This is Alex's youngest son. Pretty much. P pretty much. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's wild living, let me tell you. Second youngest. Yeah. Second youngest. Anything you want to say, Chad? No. No, <laughs> I love that too. No, uh, there's nothing I want to say. Really. Nothing you want to Thank say. Thank you for Heart of the Matter. Thank you for Heart of the Matter. Thank, Thank you, you for Heart of the Matter. Thank yeah. you, my brother. I'm going to move over through here. <laughs> tell us about yourself, will you? Uh, His name's Larry. He's been a longtime supporter of the ministry, he and his wife Phyllis. But tell us about yourself. Tell us what you have to share. He does some things uh, that have a lot of legs online. Uh, you'd be referring to the uh, LDS uh, yes. Covenants uh, project. Uh, look for the 4th of July. We've got some new uh, video coming out. It'll uh, okay. be exciting. Where uh, do they look? Uh, ask for new name Noah. New name Noah. On YouTube. On YouTube. Fourth of July. Fourth of July. New name Noah on YouTube. Check it out. Thanks for everything, Larry. You all you do. Coming over here, we have Richard. Richard. You guys Georgia. all just slide on over. Richard from Georgia. Georgia is a popular state with this ministry. Come yeah. on over, Richard. What do you want to say to the audience? Well, I'm I'm always uh, looking around for a few good Christians, and as far as I can see, this is a good place to look. Awesome. God bless all of you. Thank you, my brother. We got John Stephen, Stephen John. 
a man for the Lord. This guy has some great ideas for the Lord. John Stephen, what do you have to say? Uh, we just appreciate you and love you. Love you too. Thanks, my brother. Suzanne and her husband, Warren, come on over. They have their own ministry. It's Breaking Bread with Warren Puckett. Uh, Warren, I'm going to skip over to Warren. Why don't you tell us how they can look that up? You can look it up by going to bbread.tv. And it's my website, and uh, it, it's just talking about a relationship with Jesus and not a membership or a religion or a membership in a religion. So praise God. Fantastic. And this is his wife, Suzanne. She helps in the ministry in many ways. They moved out from Georgia. Suzanne uh, came out of the LDS church. So did Warren. Any thoughts to share? Just uh, look to God. You don't need to look to a man. Look to God. Yeah. Amen. Love that. Thank you so much, Can you I guys. Say one thing? Yes, come over here. I just want people to know uh, nine years ago, I guess it was about 90 years ago, um, I was broken coming out of Mormonism, and this brother in Christ was influential in me keeping my testimony in Jesus. If anybody does not know or think that this man is a heretic or doesn't have a heart for the Lord, you need to get to know him. He loves the Lord. Thanks, my brother. Love you. Three people clap, by the way. There's, there's hundreds in here. <laughs> Introduce yourself, my brother. This man knows the word. He carries, around, he carries around a strong concordance. That's how dedicated he is. Go ahead. That's so I don't make a mistake. <laughs> You're gonna. I do all the time. <laughs> so do I. Anyway, uh, I just want to say that Jesus Christ is the Lord and... His mercy endureth forever. Amen. And he's been showing uh, this man how to minister that peace and grace so that we all can come, even if we're not Jewish, to the throne of God and worship without fear. Amen? Amen. Thank you, my brother. Get over here. When I, I wrote Born Again Mormon years ago, no, when I wrote uh, A to Z years ago, I forgot to mention Marnita in the introductory. Was that right? I, I didn't know, so. Yeah, she had an attitude about it, like, no, kind of like she has right now. Look at it. It's back and forth. So what I did is I wrote uh, in the preface to another book, to the most, what did I say? <laughs> Whatever it was, it was not. To like the most wonderful person on the face of the earth, Marnita. Okay, so we know that wasn't <laughs> truthful. Anyway. It was. Marnita is currently involved in Sorrow, the production we're going to put on in the ministry uh, in the fall, October. She has many talents. We love Marnita, uh, her spirit, her love for the Lord, her passion for the Lord. Anything you want to say? I want to say, Danita made me come up here. Because Danita is the mama of this ministry. Anyway, <laughs> or the, the tough one. Anyway, but I, I would like to say that uh, the Lord sent me out here in 2006, and I tried to leave two times, and he <laughs> sent me back. So here I am. <laughs> she'll probably leave again, but she'll come back. Oh, no, I won't. I've learned my lesson. Love you. All right. We have just a few more, and then we'll get to tonight's program. We have Adam Guyman. Adam Guyman is... Uh, sitting here. He's in a wheelchair. He is legally blind, but he comes to many of our functions. Adam, he just lost his mom about six months ago. It was in, uh, it was in November 16th of 2015 that she passed. Adam, anything you'd like to share with the audience quickly? 
Well, I would have to say that I did come from Mormonism, and it was my mom, and it was Sean, and it was a few other people, a friend of mine as well, that had uh, taught me about the truths about Mormonism, and and Sean baptized me, and my mom was able to watch that, and I know that's a really important thing, because after I was baptized, I learned a very valuable lesson that baptism is an outward expression of our love towards the Lord and that they you know it's Jesus that died for our sins and we don't have to be worthy to be baptized to have our sins washed away which I was taught a long time ago that was the way it was supposed to be but I've learned what the real truth is and it's our relationship between ourselves and the Lord that's the most important thing and that's the truth about about the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you Adam Guyman. I really appreciate it. Adam just shaved his head and it feels like a chinchilla to do this. Like a chinchilla. Uh, coming over to this side we have our newest transplants. I'm gonna have you stand up so the camera can fully get you. This is Derek and Jen and uh, Darren! Dang. He just looks like a Derek to me. Don't make that mistake again. Don't make it again. I, I think I've made it before. Jen, thoughts to, thoughts to share? Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. Love that. And uh, Darren. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, he will radically change you from the inside out, and you'll never be the same person again. Powerful message. They just moved. Wait, wait, wait. We talked uh, brief, briefly, but they just moved all the way from Kirksville, Missouri. Kirksville, Missouri. They came in blind faith. Really, not yes. sure. Yes, absolutely. And how are things going? Going good. I'm getting used to the traffic. That's what's yeah, yeah. <laughs> going good. Praise God. All right. Yeah. Thank Thanks you. so much, Darren. Love you. I'm sorry for the and two more people. Derek, follow me. They're gonna kill me. They're gonna kill me. In fact, I have to protect my man parts over here. <laughs> this is my sister. She refuses to be on camera. She's here for everything. She cleans the building. She's digging her nails in my hand right now. She is so, uh, she is here. It's, this is Kathy Mags. We love her. And anything you want to say that's not a swear word at me? <laughs> and then back behind Mags, this is Seth Motor. Seth runs uh, all the stuff behind the scenes when it comes to technology, our websites, uh, streaming. He builds sites. He does his own thing uh, on the side. He keeps it running, and he stepped into the ministry. How long has it been? It's been about three years. About three years, and he really ramped things up for us. Couldn't do it without him. Thank you, my brother. Anything you want to say? Hey, I appreciate you and this ministry and everybody here. Thank you. We appreciate you too, Seth and Kathy Maggs. All right, uh, Merle isn't here. We appreciate him and all that he has done, and we wish he was here with us, but uh, he has some things he's doing. And then, of course, I want to thank uh, my wife, Mary, and my daughters, uh, Mallory, Cassidy, and Delaney, for all they do uh, in addition to the ministry, keeping things going behind the scenes, uh, putting up with my uh, ways, and my grandsons, uh, and my sons-in-laws, uh, both Nicholas and Matt. No, they're not officially married, but he's my son-in-law anyway. 
and my grandsons, Laser and Samson. Uh, my family, I'm very grateful for their support, and I know they're giving it uh, from home. So uh, with that, let's go to the whiteboard and try to get some things done tonight. Oh, wait a second. We have uh, uh, Cassidy put together a clip. We also have videos that were submitted, and then for the next few weeks, we're going to show those videos one at a time that were submitted uh, about the program from our uh, staff. But tonight, Cassidy has put together, uh, uh, I've seen it, it's just a great clip, and it shows the heart of the ministry, so let's take a look at that. Hi, welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, the host. I was regenerated by God himself in 1997. I left Mormonism in 2001. Are you withered and bound up? Reach out to Jesus Christ. Are you burdened by religion that demands and demands and demands? Reach out to Jesus Christ alone. Have you been entertained by the show? Entertained by me getting mad or entertained by Mormons making fools of themselves or Christians not knowing all the answers? That's been fun. It's been great to be up here and do all this, but where are you in your relationship to God? That's what matters to me. As it is written in the prophet, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the got to get to the point where you say, if you want it, it's yours, I'll do it. And he knows, he's not going to make you go out and put on a pointed hat and dance in the street. You have nothing to fear when turning it over to him. You have everything to fear when you turn it over to yourself or to other men or women who say they know the way. He preached saying, there comes one after me, who is mightier than I. Whose sandals strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I need baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy You can trust him, and we want you to trust him. People who are out there and think, you know, if I leave the church, uh, my family will fall apart, my children will be lost, uh, I've got to stay in for them. It's not true. Uh, put your faith and trust in him, and he will bless you. He'll bless your marriages. The rule of thumb for any Christian, regardless of what church they belong to, is love. It's really love, my friends. It's love because Christ loved you and he saved you, and you love others. So if I have someone who tells me the world is 6,000 years old, okay, it is. I mean, what do you want? Whatever, those things are side issues. They are just side issues. It's Jesus. He came, he saved you, he shed his blood. Do you believe it? And is he the Lord and King of your life? That's it. That's all I care about. Preach saying there comes one after me Who is mightier than I Whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose I need baptize you with water but he will baptize you.
I'm convinced that God has purposefully arranged this faith called Christianity so that it would be an open range. And, and as such a place, a, a big place for people to come in on the plane and express themselves uh, in search of love and fellowship with other believers and not to have everything in common. A city slicker can walk out into the open plain, a country boy can, an illiterate can, an educated person can, and no matter what their proclivities are within the religion, uh, there's gotta be love and acceptance when people say, Jesus is my Lord. All right, we've been talking a lot about uh, love, uh, and I, you can tell kind of where I have been in the ministry by my girth. And uh, so when my hair was really short and blonde and I was pretty big, we said right there on that show, it's, it's about love. Uh, Cassidy's been going through the programs to uh, glean some of this stuff. And we've been saying from, from the beginning, it, it is not about the, the doctrinal differences. The doctrine's important, of course. We study it. We try to figure out what, what God is telling us by the Spirit and the Word. We don't throw that out. But that cannot trump it cannot trump our love for one another and our love for our brothers and sisters in the spirit, that's who have uh, embraced Christ, and our love for people who are our brothers and sisters in the flesh still, because they are our brothers and sisters in the flesh. And that means we have a responsibility while we're on this earth in the flesh to try to reach them and make them brothers and sisters in the spirit. So the whole thing is going to be love. And until we get that down, I'm not sure we're going to have that much success. Uh, the Spirit will, but we can do a lot more if we just give it a try. Listen, in my morning studies, uh, I was reading in Psalm 10.4, uh, the King James Thompson Chain Translation. And I came across this verse, Psalm 10.4, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God... God is not in all his thoughts. That's what the passage says. And, and I, I drew in my notes a, a head similar to this, and that's the brain, and I put God is not in all his thoughts, and below it I put the wicked. And I thought, okay, you know, uh, this is interesting. But then I read that line, through the pride of his countenance. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And so I, I started to wonder about that. What does it mean? And so I went and I looked at other translations. The ASV says, the wicked in the pride of his countenance. And the RSV says, in the pride of his countenance, the wicked does not seek him. And the YLT says, the wicked according to the height of his face. And the BBE says, the evildoer in his pride says... And the Darby says, the wicked saith in haughtiness of his countenance. And I thought that's a really interesting Hebraism in how to say this. So far, so good. And, and then I looked back to the King James. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. And then I read the line, God is not in all his thoughts. Okay? Okay, so through a proud face, all the translations agree... The wicked will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And I started to look through different translations on that last line. And uh, the WEB says, 
The wicked in the pride of his face has no room in his thoughts for God. Now the King James says God is not in all his thoughts. But the uh, WEB says has no room in his thoughts for God. And so I turn to the ASV and it says the wicked in the pride of his countenance will not require it. All his thoughts say there is no God. Whoa, that's different. One says the wicked... God is not in all of his thoughts. And the, and the other one says, in all of his thoughts, says there is no God. Now, if you're reading these different versions, you're going to start to say, well, you know, I'm just using this as an example. When we read the different translations of the word, not to bring the word down, but to show you we're not going to see eye to eye unless it's by the Spirit. The YLT says, the wicked, according to the height of his face, inquires not. God is not all his devices. The BBE says that the wicked say all his thoughts are, quote, there is no God. That is such a different message between God not being in all your thoughts to there being no God. And that is in just the translational differences. And that's just this morning looking through the Bible and doing just a cursory study of what we're talking about. Why do I share this with you? Because I want to continue to show that we cannot walk around like the scribes of Jesus' day trying to make everyone fit every jot and tittle that is in Scripture and use it as a legal document or else we were constantly going to be at a division. Before the show started, I had a conversation with uh, Warren and we were talking about some things, his views on things, my views on things. Not, we don't see eye to eye on, on things. And, uh, and someone else joined us and there's different views, but can there be that love? So we push for that and I, I challenge you and your churches to push for that, to be completely inclusive I mean, rather than exclusive. Uh, and it looks like this when you look at all the uh, translations. The King James and the uh, WEB versions say there is God in their thoughts. The uh, ASV, the YLT, which is a Young's Literal Translation, the BBE, the Darby, and the RSV, that's the revised, that's from the manuscript, men, uh, Westcott and Hort manuscripts. They say there is no God. That's what the wicked say in his mind. Okay? And then the modern King James Version says there's no God in the wicked's schemes. And to me, that is three, three different ideas given by something like seven or eight different translations, and it's going to be up to the spirit and the person to decide. When you look straight to the Hebrew, this is Rasha, a wicked or bad person, Gobah, in the loftiness, pride, or elation, Af, snout, nose, or nostril, that's what it means, uh, Daresh means to pursue, question, follow. Elohim means the supreme God in this sense. It can just mean any kind of God, like the God of rock and roll. And then finally, Mezama means a plan or a scheme, usually evil. So the literal translation is wicked person, proud in snout, follow God in schemes. 
That's what the literal Hebrew translation comes out to be. So when you go to that and you say, I'm just going to look at what the languages say, we find ourselves again having to decide, are we going to believe what this says, this, this, or are we going to believe the literal, which is from a, a polyglot or from a side-by-side -side translational interlinear comparison, wicked person, proud and snout, follow God in schemes. And, 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 and I'm not doing this. I know this is a really touchy situation because it sounds like I am berating the Word of God. I'm in it as much as, as most people. I love it. It is the living Word. It is life. It gives us instruction. But we have to stop walking around like scribes and demanding everybody read it and interpret it the same way we do or else they're not our brother or sister. And with that, let's get into our next topic for the year for heart of the matter, and that is pre-existence, pre-mortal existence in the um, parlance of the Latter-day Saints. Mm. Of all the topics unique to Mormonism, this one in this day and age is at the top of the doctrinal differences list. Um, multiplicity of gods, eternal regression of gods in Mormonism is one. The Father having a body of flesh and bone is another huge one. Jesus being the literal offspring of uh, uh, God along with the Ha-Satan is another one. And the pre-mortal existence, that's a really, really unique Mormon doctrine. And once it's embraced by somebody to believe in the concept of a pre-mortal existence, that means a life that you lived as your person before coming to this earth, it's really tough for people who follow Mormonism to let that one go. Because it is so reasonable, if you let that sink into your mind, it's a reasonable concept, okay? So as you may have guessed, all of the things we've been talking about since the beginning of the year have kind of morphed in this area. We started back in October of last year and we talked about God and his makeup. And we spent about seven or eight weeks on that. Then we talked about Jesus and his makeup, or the ontology of Jesus. And then we talked about the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about Satan, okay? And most of the unique LDS beliefs regarding these persons are somehow connected with this topic that we're going to start in tonight, just quickly, because we don't have much time, and that is the pre-mortal existence. And it's because the teaching on the pre-mortal existence gives us a bunch of answers to the ontology of God, the ontology of Christ, the Holy Spirit, etc. The one character we haven't discussed yet, but will be discussed as we talk about pre-mortal existence, will be the LDS concept of a mother in heaven. And uh, what that means to the LDS, that's another very distinct belief that the LDS have compared to biblical Christians. So bottom line to Latter-day Saints, the doctrine of pre-mortal existence is all about the spirit life. Every human being, every human being, whether they believe in God or not, had before coming to this world. Uh, Joseph F. Smith, sixth president of the LDS Church, said, all men and women are literally the sons and daughters of deity. Literally, okay? Man as a spirit was begotten and born of heavenly parents and reared to maturity in the eternal mansions of the Father prior to coming to earth in a temporal, physical body. So because of a belief that we are not all equal in our makeup, uh, 
it's due to an LDS teachings to how valiant, how obedient, uh, how righteous we were in the pre-existence as spirits, okay? Uh, there's a whole subset of doctrines and teachings and fables and myths that exist that have to do with this idea that we had a pre-mortal worthiness, a pre-mortal obedience standard, a pre-mortal rebellion, if you will, and we're going to touch on those as we go along. Some LDS today will say that this teaching of us being valiant or obedient in the pre-mortal existence is not really true. That's just something people sort of talked about. But in the 2009 LDS publication of Gospel Principles, it says that all of us, quote, possessed different talents and abilities in the pre-mortal state, which were developed to varying degrees or levels. What that says is that when we were spirits, bodies, living in the pre-mortal state, we developed certain traits or characteristics based on our interest, obedience, dedication to God, or non-dedication to God. And when we come down and take on a physical body, we inherit the body, the place, the, everything about ourselves is tied into the obedience that we sh had in the pre-mortal existence. All right? Because all of us were spirit children, we were somewhat limited as spirit babies or children to grow up. And Heavenly Father came up with a plan. And he said, listen, I want you to become more like me, spirit babies. So I want you to get a body like I have, and I'm going to create an earth, and you can come down, and you're going to have the ability to be tested, and you're going to be tried, and you're going to have tests. And if you pass those tests that are placed before you, you will exit that mortal life and come back to me and become a god. This is very common, normal, everyday understanding of LDS people, all right? To the LDS, all of us knew that when we took on bodies from being spirits to coming and getting bodies, we would sin, okay? LDS say all of us sin. They don't say we don't have sin. It's a, it's a fundamental teaching that, but God, therefore, chose as one of the spirit children, Jesus, to redeem us from our sin if we would repent and then obey him. See, that this is how the system kind of works. So we're all spirit children. God says, you want to have a body like me? Go down to the earth and get my, have my plan. When you fall or fail a test, I will provide Jesus, my most illuminated son, spirit child, firstborn, really, of God, Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. My son will go down, he will live a life, and he will die for your sins. And if you look to him, you repent, and you follow after him, you'll be forgiven of your sin. Okay, that was the whole plan. Well, Satan offered up a counter plan. Remember Satan, as we talked about, Hasetan in Mormonism was the spirit brother of Jesus and of you and I, male or female, spirit brother. And Satan says in Moses 4, 1, that's an LDS book, I will redeem, he said in this grand council before we came to earth, I will redeem all mankind that one soul shall not be lost and surely I will do it. Wherefore, give me your honor. Okay, end quote. And we can see, as we mentioned last week, that in Mormonism, much more detail and understanding is given to Satan than it is in Christianity. They have a lot more 
backstory that they give to the person of Satan. According to the LDS Gospel Principles of 2009, Satan's plan would have destroyed human agency. Nobody would have had the ability to choose. Evil, they would have had to do good, according to the Gospel plan. And in the end, God said, no, Satan, I don't like that plan. I'm going to choose my son Jesus, my firstborn son. Satan was his son too. He's going to go down. He's going to live a perfect life. He will suffer and die for them. And if they repent and believe on him, they'll be saved. Satan got angry, and he drew one-third of the spirit children out of heaven and took the, them with him and was cast out of heaven. And, and now they uh, uh, are disembodied spirits. They'll never get a body. Their progress has been stunted because of that choice to follow Satan, Lucifer in LDS parlance. And they were cast out of heaven and uh, they will never get physical bodies. So anybody born on this earth shows by virtue of having a body here that they follow God's plan, okay? That was a good choice all of us made because we got bodies and we're here and we didn't follow Satan. So the LDS say, just being here shows you made a good decision in the premortal existence. In light of these teachings, there's a number of really unique thoughts that the LDS have that go along with the belief in a premortal existence. I'm not saying that they're all official LDS doctrine, but many of them are allowed to float around and be taught and talked about uh, because the church kind of lets that happen. And uh, because some spirits were more valiant, more strong, obedient, more light in them in the premortal existence, the idea is those were, are blessed more in coming here to earth, okay? So we might put them on a continuum that looks like this. This is my right hand. Here on the far right, in the pre-existence, the people who come here <laughs> with the ultimate life circumstances handed to them. They are typically born white. They are born in the covenant. That means they are born to faithful LDS parents who were sealed in an LDS temple in America, uh, preferably in Utah, preferably in the uh, east bench of Utah, uh, to a family of LDS renown uh, who are, if you're a male, if you are, and that male one's a little bit sketchy because they, they think females, of course, are, are necessary, but males are like the really, really good ones. Uh, not necessarily in terms of valiance, but just in terms of what we have. If you're wealthy, if you're healthy, if you're athletic, you get the picture. Waspy, all the way. Those are the ones who in the premortal existence, they did it right for God, okay? And this is how they literally, all the way up through the 1950s into the 70s, explained why some people are born up there by Capitol Hill here in Utah into waspy, white, rich, wealthy, healthy, uh, attractive families. It's because of their pre-mortal superiority. On the other hand, and I'm just taking the two polarized extremes, we have at the far left people who are born of a different race, okay? Now, I am not making it up. It is a standard, and it's not just blacks. It's Mexican, it's Chinese, it's anything that's not white. Because 
Socioeconomically, those of a different race are typically placed in third world countries. That is how God distributed the, the souls that were valiant over here to non-valiant on this earth. That's the only equitable way that he would do it. They are typically, not, they're not born in the covenant. They're born into a broken home, not in America. They could be female. I throw that one in there, I could be wrong. They're unattractive, they're poor, they're disabled. And so then we have, we have the two polarized views. So a living example, and, and I just mean this, we're comparing a Mitt Romney type, really, that's what we're comparing. And that's why uh, he's like, you know, he's the epitome. And he embodies the epitome of Mormonism. To a poor fly-covered woman without legs living in the dirt in Nairobi, over on this side. The whole reason people are born that way is because God is just, he is fair, and he puts these people where they belong according to what they did before they came to this earth. Now, there's no makeup in this. This is how it really is. Where the LDS Church is backed off now is saying that relative to skin color, the distribution of souls is no longer thought to be based on premortal worthiness or not. They've gotten away from that since the revelation came to Kimball to give everybody the priesthood, and so they've really downplayed the skin color connection. But in the Book of Mormon, the skin color thing still remains a theme. So I'm just trying to lay it out for you. <coughs> in addition to these two polarized extremes, there are LDS people who believe that their families were families in the premortal existence. That means that those who were sealed in the temple were families beforehand. Joseph Smith, the founder, he established that thought through a statement I don't have with me, but I've read it before on a show. And once, the LD, uh, uh, once an LDS apostle made a conjecture, uh, it was actually McConkie, and he said that special interest groups, for instance, homosexuals, spent their premortal existence learning the arts and didn't spend their premortal existence learning about the things of God. So when they came down here, they had a proclivity toward hanging drapes and, and, and doing many artistic things, <laughs> but uh, they didn't focus on the things of God. He literally said that. So in years past, LDS leaders taught that a belief in a premortal existence is the only equitable way that you can view God. It's the only way. Otherwise, he's a horrible God. Um, the thing is, and I'm going to stop here, and we're going to keep covering this next week because we have about four shows to do on it. If you're born suffering here, it's because of your own failures there. That's how it works. You're suffering here, failures there. But it's really interesting that throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament, most people who are born disadvantaged and have difficulties are favored of God. They're favored. And often the ones who are held up as being inferior are given everything from birth. And they become the ones who are morally uh, corrupt in the end in, in a lot of biblical narratives. So we know that there's a difference here. We know that God uses the weak things of the world and the poor. And in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 1, verses 1 through uh, 22, 23, it's all about how God uses the weak things of the world so that man won't glorify in his own strength. 
And it's why all through the Old Testament, God is using little weak things like a stone in the head of a giant to show that he is God. He doesn't use a big powerful things. He uses the weak. So it's really quite antithetical when you think about how they explain the justice of God, of him rewarding people on this earth with powerful things, when in reality, it's the weak and broken things that God loves. I had someone share something with me on, uh, we're going to open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. Someone explained something really interesting to me the other day. Danny, he he said, you know, and I think Marnita was talking about this. Uh, I think she was there. We're talking about how we're supposed to be broken as Christians. We're always talking about, you know, be broken, humble, contrite spirit, broken. And we talk about that, and that's such an important concept. But yet we're also, Scripture talks about how broken vessels are really not a good thing in the sight of God. They can't contain water. And so they're a broken vessel, and they're besmirched in Scripture as not being good. So if we have kind of a a, a paradox here, you're supposed to be a broken vessel, but at the same time, you also are supposed to be able to retain water. And so the thought came out, how does a broken vessel continually have water in it? And it's by continually filling it. So you put the hose of the Holy Spirit that comes by the word and prayer and love for God and self-sacrifice, and you put that hose in and you fill the thing up and it continually drains out of us. And that's the way God works is he's working through the broken vessels and continues to overflow into people's lives. The other side of the coin that was brought up is if you have a vessel that is completely intact and you fill it full of water and you stop, it becomes stagnant. And so we are supposed to fit that paradox. We are supposed to be broken in our spirit and we're supposed to fill that up constantly, letting the water overflow, run out through the cracks and bless the world. All right. Before we go to uh, an off-air question and the phone calls, let's take a look at this. Like a growing tree, we've gone through some stages in our approach to doing church. For the past few years, we've remained at campus. Christian anarchists, meaning to prayerfully understand scripture. After everything has been said and done, we find this last acronym far too limiting. After all, he is probably the only Christian anarchist in North America. So after 10 years, campus, today, and hopefully for the decades to come, should be known as Christian Meeting to Prayerfully Understand Scripture. Come as you are. Most people here got that last one, and and they all like it. (laughs) <laughs> All right, listen, we have Mark in Alberta, Canada calling in. We also have uh, Christopher Partlow asking, Sean, I'm leading a men's Bible study group this week. This is my first time leading a Bible study group. 
any tips for leading a study of scripture? What we do at campus is typically that. It's really just a Bible study. And I would go verse by verse. I wouldn't do some topical thing. I would open up a book and start, start in, and I would use the Greek as often as possible. I'd use commentaries to offset what you're looking at. Uh, there's a number of, of uh, great commentaries out there that are available. You can get a downloadable free uh, uh, aid called Power Bible. A lot of people, a lot of different Bible programs, software. I use Power Bible because it's free. I can recommend it to people. They can download it. It has a lot of resources, and it has the uh, has the interlinear uh, Greek and Hebrew. It has Strong's, it, and then the other uh, has Robertson's Word Pictures. And I would take every verse and I'd read it. And I'd take your verses for the study and I'd read them through 20 times and then I would just start letting the Spirit work and I'd just start writing. And then with a study, you might lead people more to in be involved, but uh, do as much homework as possible. Uh, I, I have people say, you know, I'm just going to let the Spirit guide. And that often just leads to uh, nonsense discussions that end up in where, where to get Prada shoes at a discount that are counterfeits. So uh, study, learn, and make it a study. Don't let it become a gossip sesh or whatever men do at Bible studies. Uh, this is from Wright. Sean, how do you reconcile speaking with non-believers or mainline Christians about homosexuality being a sin? You are now a bigot. Someone inquires, you are now called a bigot when someone inquires your view about this topic. I uh, do not pull punches. I say homosexuality, according to the Bible, is a sin. It's a sinful act. It's a sinful activity, if you want to put it that way. That brings up all kinds of ire immediately. What are you talking about? Uh, but, you know, everything almost in Scripture that we do is sinful. That's how I back it up. And um, it's not your sin that keeps you out of heaven. What keeps you out of heaven is the sin of faithlessness. If you're a homosexual, you have a sin nature that is really no more egregious, in my opinion, than mine, or someone else who's lived a very good life. Sin is sin. It all keeps us out of the presence of God. Uh, and because I don't understand your sin, you don't understand mine, is irrelevant. Did God know you would be a homosexual before uh, you were created? He certainly did. Did he, did he say he was going to damn you forever because you were born with that proclivity or because you adopted that proclivity? I say he, we all have adopted proclivities that are not good, that God doesn't like. I say we don't take that sin and make it the uh, whipping boy of all sins. We are all sinful. I said last week in Milk, let's not play around with that word either. Uh, you know, let's not say, well, you know, sometimes I always use, you know, when I'm driving, I get mad. I'll, sometimes I'll flip somebody off. Let me tell you something. I want to kill them. I want to shed their blood sometimes. Let's just cut it straight. I, and I said this in church. It really disturbed some people. I said, in my flesh, I'll steal your wife. I'll be mean to your kids and I'll punch your husband. I am a bad, bad guy in my flesh. And probably far worse than some guy who just likes other men. So let's just get real with this. In our flesh, we're sinful. That is a nature. Has nothing to do with the type. So let's get off the bandwagon of picking on the gays. I tell the gays, get your butts into church and listen about Jesus. There's no reason your sin shouldn't be called out any, more, uh, any less than my sin. 
but let's just call a spade a spade. Sin is sin. Show up, bring your sin to God, talk to God about it, and see what he has to say to you. That's what I say about homosexuality. It's the same thing I say with any sin. We have it, take it to God, but believe in him because that's what saves you. Uh, before we go to Mark, really quick, Beverly says, I'm confused on Elias' idea of Heavenly Mother. They believe God had relations with Mary resulting in Jesus. Is Mary considered mother of all? No. Um, and that's part of the problem with the mother in heaven and Mary deal. Uh, really, if you want to be honest, we look at history. The doctrine of Elias Church is mothers in heaven. It's mothers in heaven. And uh, so in reality, Mary was just another one of God's wives when he consummated uh, uh, the relationship with her. So that's really what the doctrine is, and we'll get to that when we talk about Mother in Heaven. We've only got three minutes. We did a lot of talk with friends, but after 500 shows, uh, that's worth it to me to have in the archives, everybody who was here. But let's take Mark in Alberta, Canada. On our 500th show, Mark, we are not getting the emails. We've got you from Canada. Tell us what you have to say. Well, happy 500th, and... Uh... You know, I, I'm so grateful I came to uh, uh, came to the Lord actually watching your archives and everything. So uh, I'm grateful for that a couple of years ago. Um, what I want to um, actually, I still think that comment about hanging drapes is hilarious. <laughs> but um, uh, what's, what's your opinion? Like this, this terrible. Well, first of all, um, I do like what you did on, in, in Meet on Sunday there um, yeah. regarding that we don't sin when we're in God. Yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible as we get closer to him, but as we fall back down to our flesh yeah. for the law, that's where we sin. Yeah. And I got thinking about that terrible tragedy that happened in Florida there. Not even tragedy, horrible, that shootings, right, of all, all the, in that gay bar. And I got thinking, uh, and first of all, a lot of the politicians were, and they were blaming Christians on the media all over the place, uh, CNN and whatnot. But I, I just think Christians are just a low-hanging fruit because we don't retaliate by blowing people up. <laughs> so, um, but... Uh, um, the thing is, is what happens when people haven't, uh, like, I'm still confused on the matter because, uh, and like you said before, we, you know, sometimes you, you still get the LDS thinking in your head and you can't get it out sometimes, even yeah. though as much studying as you've done, uh, and research. Yeah. And, but what happens is because traditionally what we're taught now in Christianity is you know, and you've even said it yourself, you know, bye bye fathead if you don't if you don't get the you know, if you don't get it now type of thing, right? Yeah, I've said that. Uh, yeah. And so what happens with those those people there, like I mean and I'm not gonna judge them maybe they have Christ in their heart but they're still acting that way in their flesh, right? I don't know. I can't judge individually on those situations, but what happens in those situations when somebody takes out someone's life, especially in a tragedy like that, what, massively? What know? happens to the person who's taken the life or the people whose lives were taken? Uh, well, the ones who are taken, I'm more feel sad for them. <laughs> the one that yeah. did it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's maybe not nice, but I'm just on the humanitarian end. <laughs> I see. 
Hey, we are out of time. I'm going to answer your question off. Air. I'm going to answer your question on air, but I'm going to hang up with you, Mark. Is that okay? Okay. God bless and happy 500. Thanks so much for calling. Uh, listen, we'll, we'll wrap it up really quickly. People say, you know, hey, I hear you don't believe in hell. Um, uh, is this true? Um, I believe that the Bible teaches clearly through the Greek that afterlife punishment is purposeful. It's purposeful. Um, that it's administered in love. It is not administered in hate. God is love. Uh, it's in the presence of God, according to Revelation 14. And it is only eternal in the sense of loss. And what I mean by that is we will reap, in, t in terms of spiritual rewards, what we have sown. We will reap what we have sown. And I believe we will reap that through the resurrection. The body we will get, spiritual body we will get, I believe that is what we will receive, a body to damnation, a body to life, is what Jesus said. So uh, the Augustinian notion of flesh burning forever in hell, forever and ever and ever in hell, screaming out in hell, that's Augustine that made that popular. I believe that is a fabrication, and I think that the Bible does not support it contextually. When you take everything into account, it becomes, it becomes nonsense to me to push that out there. There was punishment. Jesus said, how will you escape uh, the flames of Gehenna? But he was talking about a literal place there for the Jews. And it's a whole other topic. But bottom line, God is just. God is good. God is love. He loved us so much he sent his son. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Christ. He has had the victory over this world. How that plays out for the evil that continues to be done in this life, I don't know. Thank goodness that he's a good and righteous judge, and he'll take care of it. Join us next week for show 501 here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the And I won't be coming out, I'm going in This man's awake, a storm's arising The dawn's awaiting till 